I'm really excited about Advent. How many love the season of Advent? Where we, Advent just literally just means the arrival or the coming. We, we look back, everyone say we look back, and we reflect on the first Advent, the coming of the Messiah. But Advent is also where we look ahead because we're living between Advents, his first coming and his second coming. And so we live this literally Advent is the season that we actually live in all year, technically, in the tension of what we call the now. Everyone say the now and the not yet. And so my best friend and I, John Sparrow, we were meeting a couple weeks ago and said, hey, what if we just kind of, you know, collaborated a little bit? I had this idea, and which I'll preach about, of there one of the most the, the Bible is a library of books that tells one unified story that's meant to lead us to King Jesus. All in favor, say aye. There's different genres, different types, diff, you know, from narrative to prose to poetry to proverb, you know, pithy statements to prophetic literature to apocalypse. It's, it's full of this diverse library of different genres, but it's one thread that points us and leads us to King Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's promised to do at the end of the age. So one of the fun ways to tell that meta story is through the lens of all the different iterations or ways that God has revealed his heart that he just wants to dwell with us. What do I mean? Well, the garden, the tabernacle, the temple, Christ, Pentecost, the New Jerusalem, these six big movements through the biblical story reveal one overarching theme. I want to dwell with people. It's amazing. So someone screenshot that and I'll actually post those post these notes after the service. I didn't get a chance to. And so what we're going to do over these next several weeks is pick pick off each of these iterations from the garden. To the tabernacle, to the temple, to Christ, the word, the incarnate word, God dwelling among us to Pentecost. When okay, I'm going to start preaching all of them, but I'm going to save all of them for when we preach them. And then the New Jerusalem, when God comes and his dwellings with God and God and man. So how many how many are, are willing to go on this Advent journey where we we pull out one of these and say, what do they have to show us about God's intention of that iteration? Does it, I don't know another word that manifestation or iteration of God wanting to dwell with people. I don't know if you knew this, but God actually wants to dwell with you throughout your entire life. This is the. One of the most uh, special and significant um, uh, ways to tell the biblical story. So if someone's like, how do what's the story of the Bible about? God wants to dwell with us. Like, what are some of the main key themes? Oh, the garden when he walked with us in the cool of the day. Oh, the tabernacle when he gave the design to Moses to, like, live in the middle of Israel's camp. Oh, the temple when, you know, they sort of they conquered the land and David passed the legacy to his son Solomon. He built this amazing temple where God resided on Zion's Mount. Oh, Christ, when he came and he put skin and bone and flesh on Pentecost, when he came to reside in people. Oh, and by the way, the story ends the new Jerusalem. God brings new creation to bear on the earth. And you just told the whole literally. I mean, there's a lot of things to fill in, but this is the meta narrative. And people are dying to live a better story than the stories that are being told today. And so one of the things we do unapologetically is to give our churches, both equippers and radiant, a handle on how to navigate 
in the story of God. And what's super great about this slide and these iterations of God's dwelling heart, burning heart to dwell with us, is wherever you're at in your Bible, we're about to start a new year. And so that's a great time to, you know, get a new Bible reading plan to like build new habits. But when you have this meta narrative, you know where to put what you're reading in the in the master storyline. I'm reading the prophets and they keep talking about like God bringing people back like like the temples. You know where the storyline is. You're living in a tension between temple and Christ. When's God going to come back? When's he going to make things right? You get what I'm saying? So wherever you're at in the Bible, you can find your way through the roadmap by this simple story, this key, if you will. Garden, tabernacle, temple, Christ, Pentecost, New Jerusalem. So today, that was a long intro. We get to talk about the garden. And I got to read a book by this guy. I highly recommend this author. I've read multiple books. Um, just really quick. Talk to your neighbor for five seconds. This cable's jacked. Let me just literally talk to your neighbor for five seconds. Hold on. <laughs> Check one, two. Oh, bless him. Bless him. So we're going to talk about the garden. And what can we draw out from the garden? There's a lot of scripture today. I might do a, some paraphrasing, but I read a book by Peter Lightheart um, this week. And it was one of the most stirring reads. It was just the perfect timing that I stumbled on. And Amazon recommended this book. I, you know, sometimes Amazon gets it right. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't need heated slippers. <laughs> you know, the suggestions that fill up your feeds and you're like, what? I don't, I think I don't need, do I, honey, do I need that? And she's always like, you don't need anything, bro. But if we don't get the beginning of a story, we won't know how to make sense of the rest of it. And I'm telling you, we are living, oh my goodness, I'm already preaching the end at the beginning on accident. We are living in a generation and in a culture that wants to, that not just wants to, that is actively erasing our origin story and rewriting a counterfeit that cannot bear the weight of humanity. So to get our story, we have to get our story right. If we don't know the foundation of the, the revelation of God's intent, we're not going to like have the solution from when we start trying to solve the problems that, that we face on a daily basis. We have to know the origin. We have to know where we came from. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to know where you came from. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, read it with me, was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Jay did not know what I was preaching today. At least I don't think she did. So as the spirit was moving, that was perfect way to go. I love when the worship uh, sets up the word and back and forth. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So what we see here at the beginning, I do this throughout the message, by the way. They're summary slides, so they keep me on track. I don't preach too long because I got a point I want to get to at the end. We see God is the creator. Everyone say, God is the creator. God, he's in heaven and in earth, and he's a, he's a creator, and he sees this formless vacuum, this like wilderness wasteland of untamed potential. Theologians call throughout the Bible, again, these are like big keys that unlock lots of scripture. 
always throughout the Bible, the sea represents sort of this the, the chaos monster of anti-creation, this insidious trying to deteriorate, destroy and drag down creation, its potential to, to still kill and destroy. And so when God sees this formless void, he's not like, oh, bummer, what do I do with the chaos? He's like, I've got a word and the spirit knows how to get my word to work. And so he sees the formless void, this wild wilderness, and he speaks into it and begins to shape and order and give purpose, assign meaning to the light, stars, moon, to the earth, to the water. And then he, he creates these blank canvases. He forms first. Everyone say he always forms first. And then he fills what he forms. So if you walk through the narrative of creation, he makes the sky, okay, star, sun and stars. He, he makes the sea day one. Day one corresponds to day four, day two to day five. Just read it. It's a beautiful, unbelievable, gorgeous poem. God is just doing work. Day one, wait for day four. I'm going to fill what I, what I formed on day one. And so we see this is just a, a very, 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 very quick summary statement to get through 25 verses. God created. He spoke into the formless void. The spirit was hovering ready to partner and respond to God's word. And when God spoke, he shaped, he formed, he filled, he created and fashioned. And he said after everything he made, say it with me, it was good. It was good. How many love where we live? My brother just flew into town from Kansas, and I love when my relatives and friends from Kansas come because they realize why I've refused to move after 16 years. Don't you want to move home? Every one of them that comes is like, you're not moving. You're staying on the central coast. You're like, I didn't plan on moving. Thank you very much. So day six, like the crescendo, the crescendo. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Listen to these key phrases and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, summary slide, just some mega, you know, just to get get it in your spirit. And again, I'll, I'll have the slide deck right after service. I'll upload it to our link tree. Let us make. How many believe, how many are thankful we serve a triune God, a God in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also serve a God who reigns and rules over heavenly beings, angelic hosts. So there's a host of heaven, and guess who's in charge of all the hosts of heaven? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so God, in, in you know, what I love is, is that he's, he's creating all of these things for day six for his image bearers to rule over and enjoy all that he made the previous six days. How many love our God? He's like, I'm just going to like set up an unbelievable scenario for them to step in, to grow up in wisdom and stature and the knowledge of me and relationship with me. They're going to bear my image. They're my little icons. If you, if you read any commentaries or any books that are worth a grain of salt in, in, in Genesis, you'll read this. The, the Hebrew word for image is salim, and what it literally means is we are God's little icons in his garden temple. There's a reason the first command or the second, oh, Exodus 20, read it. 
Make no images. Don't make any images of God. Why? Because God already has an image. It's called you. And within the garden temple that God creates, he's like, I don't need an idol. I don't need you to shape anything because I made you. And here's when we get in trouble. When we make God in our image instead of responding and, and saying, no, he made us in his image. I mean, almost everything unravels at that one point. God, we didn't make God in our image. He made us in his. God's fingerprints are all over your life. His beauty, his brilliance, his potential, his wisdom, his ability to relate, to converse, to create. Image and likeness. So we bear his image. We're his little icons in his garden temple. He's like, I'm going to create this unbelievable place for you to dwell and for me to dwell with you. And you're my little imagers. You're my little icons that when all of creation that I'm about to give you a cultural mandate to bring Eden and to bring it outside the barriers and make it larger and bigger. He, he gave them a building project. He said, when you go out there, when people and things and cities want to know what God is like, they'll be able to look at you and see my image and my likeness. And then I love this. God blessed them. Everyone say, God bless you. He blessed them and he gave them these, these, these uh, commands to rule over and to subdue and to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. That is the one commandment I've heard preachers say that humans are actually semi-decent at obeying. That was supposed to be a Bible joke, but no one understood that. And then in the very, be very, 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 very cruel. He made them male and female. How many think God is a pretty good creator, pretty good designer? This idea of ruling and subduing. I was on a conference call with a bunch of pastors about a year ago, eight months ago, and this theologian from up in the Portland area said, because we're going to get to the serpent, like where'd the serpent come from? We're going to get there in like five minutes. But this is God's offensive word to say, what I've just created in Eden, you're going to then take as a template and extend its borders out into the, the, the chaos out there, the world. I want Eden to grow larger, but there are critters and creatures that you're going you're, you're gonna to need to rule over and have authority over. And guess what? I've given you that ability to rule over that which is at odds with me. So this, this promise of being able to rule and subdue, Dr. Gary Bashir said, is God's first word against what Adam and Eve will need to know and walk in because he has an assignment for them. He's given them all that they need, but they're going to need to exercise that authority in God's wisdom and in God's ways so that Eden expands. Rule and subdue. This is like war language. He made a garden, not so that they would stay in the garden, so that they would extend the garden. But there is anti-forces about I love this. So this is, again, summary slides. We're going good. We're doing fast. This is great. Then the Lord God formed a man. I skipped the Sabbath. We could do a whole sermon series, 20 sessions on the Sabbath. By the way, he blessed the seventh day. It's the, it's the first thing he called holy, by the way. If you read your Bible, it's the first mention of it. It's holy. It's blessed. He created us to work from rest, not for rest. We could talk about Sabbath. It's glorious. He, he creates everything. And the first activity, these little culture makers are supposed to do are to rest in the bounty and beauty of God. And then from that place, they go do meaningful work. 
How many know you could work your whole life and you're, you're striving and you're grinding and there is an element of that because of the fall. But how many believe God wants to restore that Sabbath rhythm to our lives that we don't work to build our identity or our, draw our sense of purpose. We work because it's an expression of bearing God's image and goodness. It's a shift. It's a wild shift that will change the game for us. So we skipped that, but now I didn't skip it. So verse seven, then the Lord God formed a man. This is so good. From the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the Ruach. And the man became what? A living being. Now, the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. Then God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. All the vegans out there say, hey, I'm telling you, it's right here. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Read it with me, to work it and take care of it. So what I love about this really quick is for everything else in creation, God speaks. For humans, God breathes. Picture it. I mean, I don't know how God kneels or whatever, you know, like. He breathes to give us a foundation from which we're never supposed to leave, which is if he breathes us breath to breath, face to face, mouth to mouth, he wants us to live out of that close proximity and intimacy. We were never meant to grow up from the revelation of the fact that he didn't speak from afar. Let there be lights. Let there be stars. Let there be earth. Separate water from sky. For us, he gets down in the dirt. He forms us and he breathes his breath into us so as to say, I want to live close to you all of your days. Oh, that's so good. Everyone else, everything else he speaks and it was good for us. He gets down and he breathes face to face. We become a living being. <laughs> oh, let him breathe into you right now. It's so powerful from the dust. He breathes and it's God who plants a garden. Everyone say God planted the first garden. Aren't you glad he gives us a leg up? Someone say amen. I need a leg up on occasion. I need to help. I need a hand. I am not John Wayne. I, you know, or whoever is this generation's version. I don't know. God plants the garden and the one that he just breathed into, he's like, I got an assignment for him. It's going to be good. He's going to do good work. And he, 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 there's a tree of life. Everyone say the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will get there this next few slides. And then he said, I'm going to sit. I'm going to put him in the garden to work it. And to take care of it. And I don't have time to get into it because remember the other slide about garden, tabernacle, temple, the language of work and care for are the exact same Hebrew words that priests do in the temple. It's so powerful. It's so cool, which is to say their work is an extension of their worship. How many need an upgrade on your vision of how you view work? Every hand raised. There's not there wasn't a word for worship. There was just a word for work. Build till guard. It's the same language that the Levites, they were to guard the things of God. This is the language that God just gave his image bearer in the garden. Care for it, guard it, cultivate it, work it. This raw garden that I planted for you to enjoy, not for you to stay in the garden, but that the garden would expand out into all creation. 
But don't forget, I made you mouth to mouth. So do all of it face to face with me. Are you tracking with me? Just say amen. We got to move. We got to move. We got to move. So he's supposed to be, he's a, he's a guardian. He's a steward. He's not just sitting on his hind whatever. Oh, I love what God made me. Now, there's a place for that. It's called Sabbath. Oh, there's a day. There's a day that's holy. Oh, this is good. This is good. But the other six days, God, you've given me an assignment, not just to guard it and to keep it where it is. Come on, someone needs to hear this. We're meant to grow and expand and steward unto increase that brings glory to God. How many believe that his word, let there be light, is still creating? We're still discovering new lights and galaxies and cosmos. And how many know we are made, it's in our image, it's in our DNA. This is why things like unemployment, if you're struggling with job, it, it, these things like, we, like, okay, that's what I was going to say. Thank you, work. Hello, right there. Work is not a result of the fall. How many think an entire generation needs to hear that? It's not a result of the fall. Work is good. Say it with me. Work is good. It's good to work. He made us to work. God worked, by the way, for six days. On the seventh, he rested. God's a worker. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. It's good. It's good. It's good. On day six, I'm going to do a little Play-Doh experiment with the dust, and I'm going to breathe face to face to make this imager that I can put in charge of the garden I planted for them, not so that they would stay in the garden, but they would have a template to know how to do good work out there. Oh, come on. Thank you. I'm coming. And then God commanded the man, you're free. Everyone say you're free. So this generation's cry to be free and to identify, like, like, like it's, it's the, re the devil can't invent anything. He can only manipulate and cause and sow words of deception and doubt and chaos. We were made to be free within God's glorious confines, face to face, mouth to mouth, doing good work, bearing his image. Ruling over and subduing in relational partnership with him. Oh, this is like where we came from. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, this is so powerful. Again, Peter, this one's Peter Lighthart. I give him all the credit. It is not good for man to be alone. I'm the, I will make a helper suitable for him. It's the only thing in the first two chapters that's not good. You can't miss it in Genesis 1 and 2. It was good. It was good. It was good. And it was good. It was good. It was very good. Sabbath, very good. Adam being alone, this is not good. Guys, let that sink in. The war on identity, warfare, marriage. This is as old as creation. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. It's the one thing. It's not good. Look, for the thing that's not good, look how God solves the not goodness of it. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with the flesh. This is so just gorgeous and a little bit grisly. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her, brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, I'm sorry, he hadn't named her yet, that comes at 320, were both naked and they felt no shame. This is a 
prototypical story of res- resurrection. Look and f- find Jesus in this passage. The first Adam goes into a deep sleep. A rib comes out, a suitable helper, a bride. The son of man, Jesus Christ, goes not in just to a deep sleep. He goes into death and Hades itself. He arises and from his blood and water that flows from his side, a bride called the church. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, young and old, people from every nation, language, tribe. Do you see it? Do you see echoes of what Jesus is going to do? A deep sleep. Imagine the surprise after he wakes up. She's hot. I she's hot. No, 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 no. You think I'm joking. Literally, I studied this in the Hebrew. Google it yourself or get a good commentary. He names her. It's the Hebrew word ish. And ish is an iteration of esh, which is fire. So literally, no, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I read this. I studied it from people way smarter than me. So when he said, this is woe man, he's like, ish, ish, this, he, a fire was born in his belly. And just like we're meant to burn men, if you're in marriage or you're on the hunt or you're wanting to do it God's way, we're meant to have fire for our wives. And it's just a snapshot of the fire that the bridegroom Jesus has for his bride. There's a fire in his, literally fire was born. He named her, whoa, she caused me to come on fire on the inside. Oh, this is so, ro- it's romantic. All of us are like, do I keep looking at the preacher while he's preaching this? I feel, <laughs> guys, listen, this is what, look, this is why, oh, I gotta, I gotta stay focused here because I want to get off here, but it matters. This stuff matters. Where we came from matters. Doing it God's way matters for life, man and woman for life, covenant, on fire for each other. It matters. A suitable helper, one who shares in his, his like this, this, this mutuality, this, this beauty and diversity and male and covenant together. They leave their family of origin and start. And this stuff matters. This stuff matters. This, was, this is our story. This is humanity's story. And we don't get to change our origin story. I mean, if we change the story, we don't have a story to stand on. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He's on fire for his wife. And it's a small glimpse of King Jesus, who's the bridegroom. When he looks at his bride, he's, he's, on, he's got eyes of fire for you and me. Turn, say to your neighbor, Jesus, is, he's a man on fire for you. You're a part of his bride. You're a part of his body. It's so, it's so important because we're getting ready to get to Genesis 3, and I hate rushing. I, I haven't even preached for 25 minutes yet. You are free, all except for one tree. We're going to get there. Why that's significant. You're free. That's the first word, except for one tree. We'll see what the devil does here in a second. It's not good for man to be. This is a summary slide. Deep sleep, one flesh, no shame. They were naked. Oh, praise God. We won't labor on that anyway. So, so this is to summarize two chapters of Genesis that deserves 800 pages of theology. And but this is a, this is a summary slide. Creator God, we're made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. And male and female, He made them to rule and subdue, to be fruitful and work, fill fill the earth. 
that our work is an expression of our worship. And then he blesses marriage. You'll leave father and mother. This is the summary. This is Genesis 1 and 2. We could talk about it for 18 years, but that's a summary. Everyone say amen so I can move on. Again, this reveals God's intention as we think about this Advent journey of his desire to dwell with us. How are we doing so far? It's a pretty sweet scenario. How many have ever thought this in their head? I'm going to trick you here. If only it was a little easier or better or more favorable, I would live and reach for my potential. How, how many have ever bought that lie or thought? If only, and there, maybe there could be some truth to that. Okay, but, and, and let me just say, there was never more redemptive potential packed into an environment than this. And the slithery serpent was still deceptive. So rule over him. Come on, someone say, so rule over him as a part of our vocation as image bearers in his likeness. All right, we've got to hurry, hurry. Kids are playing. So the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree? Look, at he's such a liar. Any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. I don't know, my slithery voice. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, serpent, did God say, here's what the devil did. I learned this from Steve Dognabbit, his last name, like four or five years ago in my master's program. Six years, I don't remember, but I want to give credit to him because it, it hit me like a rock. Sitting in a classroom. He said the devil, his first lie was God's first word was a restrictive word, not a permissive word. I was like, if you're a parent, you know the wild difference. What what was the first word? You are free to eat from any tree except for one. What does the devil say? Did God really say you can't? Restrictive word was not the first word from the mouth of Yahweh. It was permissive within the confines and context of his wisdom. He was the only one wise enough at this time to name good and evil. Now, humans are supposed to grow in that wisdom because Solomon asked, Solomon asked for it in 1 Kings 3. I'm skipping ahead, but we'll get there in two weeks when we do temple. And he gives him wisdom. Let me tell you this. They were meant to eventually eat from that tree. They weren't mature enough yet. They hadn't ruled and subdued. Woo! They were meant to eat from the tree of life, live in partnership. He makes them. He gives them unbelievable potential. They're meant to like do eat in 2.0, eat in 3.0. They're meant to grow so that they could carry the responsibility of knowing and naming good and evil. After they grew a little bit. We know this if you're a parent. We have to grow in our wisdom. This is this is why uh, Luke 2.42 is so significant. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. This was what Adam and Eve were supposed to do with wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And the enemy does this. God's first word was, did he really say you can't? And he, but the real first word was, dude, you're free. You get to eat from all the trees. How many know that's a game changer? That doesn't mean there's still not some restriction because there is. But all of us, like the, the lie of our cultural narrative right now is whatever I want, whenever I want it, however I want it. But none of us actually wants to live in a culture like that where we get whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and however much of it we want. We would kill each other. 
We need restrictive. We need the beauty and the wisdom of God's confinement so that we can flourish and thrive. And then the, the devil, the, so he goes from causing doubt, and then he changes the game. He's a deceiver. That's what his name literally is. Did God really say? And then he flat out just is like, he lies. Because that he's the father of lies. John 8, 44. His, I love John, Jesus and John and John 8, 44. When he lies, he's speaking his native language. He's the liar. Did God really say? Restriction versus permission. You, and then he just he just lays all of his cards on the garden poker table. You're not going to die. But here's what's so tragic. God knows that if if and when you eat from this, because you're I know you're going to. Then you'll be like God. The tragedy was that they were already like God. Did you not hear the first 30 minutes of the sermon? They were already like him. They were his little imagers, his icons. So the thing we see a generation reaching for, they already have, if they would say yes to the reconciling work of God in Christ, be restored to relationship so that they could live out of their redemptive potential, rule and subdue, be fruitful and multiply within God's brilliance and beauty, the confines of his wisdom and his ways. Okay, so hurry, we're almost done. When the women saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food, everyone say good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for wisdom. This is the first time a husband failed. His job, if you remember back in in Genesis chapter 2, Verses 10 through 24, his job was in that garden to be the guardian. From the best that we can tell, if you read the story that I just read, which I read with you, Adam is with Eve the whole time. The, 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 the serpent is slithering and speaking. Hey, did he say? At any time, Adam can use his royal priestly right to say he could have been the first serpent crusher. No serpent. That wasn't God's first word. Oh, my gosh. This is why I'm so passionate about our men's prayer. This is why I'm so passionate about like our last men's summit. I love women. Hear me. I have a daughter and a wife. I love it. But there is a vacuum of men who are willing to step up and say, no, God did not say this is what he said. Whoo. I want women to do that, too. You don't don't call me a chauvinist or whatever but there is a gaping bleeding bleeding out cultural reality for godly men to arise and to do it god's way with god's wisdom and god's will and god's word to say no this is who you are this is how god has designed civilization this is how we flourish this is how we thrive within the confines of the covenant within his beauty and his goodness and his glory with him at the center not me And this is the first failure. I'm sorry, I'll talk to Adam someday if we see him in the age to come. But he doesn't guard his wife. The serpent comes at the weaker partner. That's not to begin. It's the Bible. Okay. First Peter chapter uh, two, 15 through like 18, the weaker partner who's an heir with you, equal heir of the gift of life. But the serpent comes. It got to Eve and Adam's sitting there. I don't even know what I don't know what he's doing. But he's like, I have fruit was good. It looked good. She's. She okay, so there's a joke there too. But anyway, <laughs> wives, you have a big power over your husbands. Anyway, 
so was that fair to say that? So men, how many feel challenged by that? I, I'm not, that does not, not rise up and rule and be a jerk, but rise up and say, no, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Oh, man, there's something there. We're going to talk about it later, probably. The eyes of both were opened. Oh, my goodness. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves. And they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Here's dwell number one. He was walking in the garden. He was walking, and they heard the sound of him walking in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, the one that he bent down and breathed in their face. They're now hiding from the one who breathed on them. And they hid among the trees of the garden. All of the other trees they could have ate from. I didn't see that till right now. They're hiding the thing that, that behind things they were meant to actually enjoy. Now they're serving as barriers, good things being barriers from the presence of God. Oh, someone preach that. But the Lord, I love this. My fa- I'm serious. I think Genesis 3 9 is my favorite verse in the Bible. I've got a lot of them. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? How many are so thankful he calls out to us in our nakedness and our shame and our sin and our separation? I am. I am. He calls out. And then the man said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked, so they made coverings from themselves. Whereas probably all the other days in creation, when they heard, they leapt with joy. Here comes God on his daily walk. This is going to be sweet. They run and hide. Two questions. Where are you and who told you? Oh, my goodness. In our fact-checking age, what if believers literally lived out of that? Who are you? I'm an image of God bearer made to rule and reign with the king at the center of my life. I submit and yield to his wisdom, his word and his will. And I have a royal assignment as a priest and a king to do my king's bidding, to build gardens everywhere I go. And who told me that? God told me that. The one who breathed life into my very nostrils said, this is your assignment. Oh, my word. Who are you? I bear his image. I belong to him. And who told you? You did, and your word is good enough for me. Come on, somebody say amen. That was good preaching right there. Hurry up. This is the last slides. Is everyone good? I'm so happy. I love you so much. This is a long word, but it's like the most, if we don't get this, the whole, nothing's going to get. The man said to the woman who, the woman you put here with me. Oh, God. (laughs) That got me this morning as I was working on these slides. I was like, the first person to get blamed was God. He didn't have a problem with it back in Genesis 2, 20 through 24 when it was on fire on the inside. Whoa, woman. Now it's you give her to me. Okay, we know that. Okay, men. Then the Lord said to the woman, well, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. I ate. So now we're blaming God. We're blaming Eve. We're blaming the serpent. Are we tracking? Okay, so yeah. Blame is not a big part of our current culture. We know. So, so the Lord said to God, the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you. I want you to see this. The first thing cursed in the garden is not the image bearers. It's the serpent. You have to see that. That doesn't mean we don't get a curse because we do. But there's no remedy for the curse that's on the serpent. There's a remedy for the curse that's on humanity. Woo! Hey, that's not in the notes. 
It's the gospel. It's the healing balm of God's provision to heal. Okay, I'm preaching on at the end. Okay, the cursed are you. You're going to crawl. Bray, I hate snakes. No offense if you like snakes. That's why I don't like them. You're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And right here when he curses, the, he, so he gives a curse to the serpent and he gives a promise to the imagers. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a full-on prophetic word about the gospel that's coming. The image of God, Christ himself, will crush the serpent. It will cost him his life, but the father will raise the son up and reign and rule over the serpent once and for all. It's the gospel. To Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife. <laughs> I, I tell us, I, usually that's a good idea. This is the one circumstance. <laughs> Come on, everybody say amen. Usually it's a good idea to listen to your wife. If you're not married, that's a free first lesson, a marriage lesson. You must not eat from it, cursed to the ground because of you, painful toil, you will eat from it. It was your idea, God. She made me do it. Snake made me do it. Adam, really, you let your guard down. Now, there's a curse on the serpent. There's a curse on creation. But in the midst of the curse, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm not done with this story. Come on, someone say, I'm not done with this story. Come on, I'm not done with the story on the Central Coast. I'm not done with the story of your family. Come on, I'm not done with the story of your marriage. I'm not done with the story at your workplace. I'm not done with your story, America. I'm not done with your story. In the midst of the curse and the chaos, opening the hood of our hearts to the deceitful lies of the enemy, it's not garden it's chaos back to the formless void of the chaotic waters we have to see that it's not progress when you ignore the first three chapters of the bible it's digress it's chaos this is why we're so zealous for getting this story into our spirits amen so adam and his wife then he names her you're the mother of all living things even in the midst of the curse god's like i'm going to carry the story forward come on someone say amen for the mercy of god he names Eve now. You're the mother of all living. The Lord made, so then it gets rid of the fig leaves. God covers. There's too much there. I can't preach it. He's, he's like, those coverings are joke. Let me, let me put skins on you. I'll cover you. Let me be your covering. And then the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He wasn't ready for it yet. He just, I, Peter Lightheart, this is Peter Lightheart. He just couldn't wait to be king. Oh, I just can't wait. You were made to be a king, but you weren't ready for it. You hadn't won any battles yet. You didn't rule and subdue. Test one was serpent in the garden. Imagine if he would have crushed his head instead of listening to his lies. Come on, that's good. You weren't ready yet. You were too immature. But now he knows good and evil. He can't reach out now and eat from the tree of life. There's no way I want him to live forever with the revelation of his separation and his shame. Aren't you glad he didn't let us eat the tree of life there so that forever we're building iterations of fig leaves? Praise God. So he banished them from the garden. Praise God. He put cherubim and guarded it, flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Oh, okay, here it is. God created. He formed and filled. Image and likeness, male and female. This is what he blessed. Be rule and subdue, be fruitful and multiply, marriage, one flesh for life, rest, Sabbath, it's the one day that's holy. Work is your worship primary way at this point. Care for and guard, steward the creation, draw out the potential of creation, expand the borders of Eden. He was not, they weren't supposed to stay in the garden. 
you're, I'm a builder and architect, and I have uh, my heart is to expand this project. I love one of the phrases I read this week was, Eden was not, oh, I'm going to misquote it. Eden was not a finished product. It was a project, product project. It was a project that had an expansion asterisk. Build this out all into all creation. There was a curse but a promise, and they're ultimately exiled from Eden. And this lands the plane for our first iteration of God dwelling among us. We chose to be kings and queens to ignore God's goodness, God's guard, God's governance, God's wisdom. We listened to the liar, but in the midst of our seizing for our autonomy, he gives us a promise. And even though he exiles them from Eden, he did it because he's good. Amen. Because now they're aware of things they weren't ready to be aware of yet. And there's no way he wants us to live forever in that state, knowing we're separated, filled with sin and shame. He wants us to live forever back to that mouth to mouth, breath to breath reality. So here's the question. As we think about the garden again, that was very fast. I'm sorry. I love you so much. I just wanted to get you at just three chapters of the Bible in 35, 40 minutes. Out of what you've heard today, does anything convict or correct your thinking? Just think about it. What challenges you by hearing a very brief overview that I left, left a lot out? What, what challenges you about what you've heard? What comforts you? And how can you this week live out the cultural mandate? to rule and subdue, to be fruitful, to fill, to guard, to steward, to draw out. I loved, I, this is a part I skipped. In Genesis 2, like verse 10 through 14, right there in Genesis 2, it talks about the four rivers, talks that there's gold and say there's gold in the ground. It's a prophetic picture that all that I'm calling you to do is bring out the redemptive potential of all the things around you. We've been drawing out gold from the beginning. It's part of our vocation. How can I take this piece of wood and make it a stand for an iPad? We make things. Come on, we're creative. We're, we shape, we make. That's because we bear the image of the creator. So we skip that part. So, but that's the cultural mandate, to go make something of your world this week, partnering with God, the creator and sustainer. How many have been challenged? How many have been encouraged this morning of the brilliance and beauty of our origin story? Oh, my gosh, it makes me want to serve God. <laughs> it makes me want to fall on my knees and say, Lord, I want to do it your way. You are such a creative, amazing God. What you've blessed and you've said is good and very good and holy. I want to say is blessed and good and very holy. Come on, Lord, just invite the grace of God. Invite his ruach, that breath. That was a key moment this morning, I feel. Invite him to come face to face with you and to breathe on you. How many need the breath of God this morning? Just raise your hand. You just say, I need a face to face with Abba. I need my God to breathe into me. Can we just pray right now just for 30 seconds as we land the plane? Just pray for those around you. Just say, Father, stoop into the dust of my brother or sister and breathe and shape and fill and remind them of who they are today. Just 20, 20, 30. Let's just minister to each other just for a last minute. Please don't be shy. You don't have to have fancy words or preacher words. Just say, God, breathe on them. 
fill them. Encourage them as they're building this week with God and expanding the borders of, of Eden. Help them to do good work this week, not, not bad work, good work, because they're doing it with you and your spirit and your character and out of your counsel. And I just feel in my heart as we land the plane, how many, how many believe that you've been listening to lies of the deceiver, but you want someone to pray that his head would be crushed this week? Just raise your hand. If there's anything that's been slithering in your heart, we've got a hand or two raised. I'm not going to call you out. But right now we ask God to crush the head of the deceiver over our spiritual family, over those especially that raise their hand where there's lies, where there's deceit. I pray in the name of Jesus you would crush the serpent. I pray, Lord, that lies would be bound and broken off, that the truth of God's word and God's wisdom would come forth right now. Release the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you, I pray. And I just want to spend the last 20 seconds, pray over, over those that you love and lead. Lord, let the origin of our story be deposited over my sons and daughters. Come on, pray that right now. We want to pray for the restoration of God's of his vision here at the beginning to be established in those that we love and lead. Just pray that for 20 seconds. Lord, establish this origin. Genesis one, two and three into the hearts and into the minds of those that you've called me to love and lead. Thank you for our story. In Jesus name. We all said amen. Amen. May you hear, put your hands out, receive this blessing. May you hear the footsteps of the maker walking in the garden of your heart this week. And instead of running and hiding, may you say, here I am, Abba. I'm not running from you. <laughs> I'm running toward you. Because you love me. I bear your image. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you and multiply your efforts this week as his image bearers. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you guys so much. He is good and he is good. He is good. Hallelujah.